Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge, inspire you, and get you in the right mindset so that you can apply it in your own life to drive impact, generate meaning, and achieve your purpose. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge and inspire you to act and take the content you've learned to apply in your own life to generate meaning and purpose. Uh, Today's guest is uh, Brad Parks. Brad enjoys over 30 years experience in community engagement, organizational governance, and secure social commerce, technology consulting, and development. In 2014, he leveraged that acquisition of the Hollywood Film Festival and is currently the CEO of the organization's Hold co and executive producer of the festival and is its growing global ecosystem. Brad, I'm excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for um, taking some time out of your schedule to uh, to to discuss with with me and my audience about your background. How are you doing? Thank you, brother. It was a it was a privilege meeting you a couple weeks ago in L.A. And uh, having worked quite a bit in L.A., it's nice to meet like genuine real people that have a good old school kind of farmland, Wisconsin tie, which is great. So happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. I, and I appreciate you recognizing that. I think there's um, some common values that we carry with us as fellow Midwesterns, um, you know, venturing out to different parts of the wor- world, whether that is in, in Los Angeles or um, in Afghanistan, <laughs> I'm sure. Which Exactly. You know, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into your background experience while you were in, um, there as well. But uh, so um, I, I particularly am interested in your your experience in in the the Hollywood film industry. How did you get this uh, this gig? How did you get started? What what was the sure. the I guess the 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 steps that you took to to engage in this organization and now with this industry. Well, ironically, my experience in Afghanistan is in the film side, because one of our uh, prizes we do per country, a Hollywood Silver Screen Prize of Afghanistan, France, China. And so it was a film about an Afghan interpreter that brought me back into that work. My military service was actually in Honduras, Panama, you know, uh, Desert Shield, pre-Desert Storm in that world. And then sometimes you just go back into that life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh but I grew up in Iowa. Uh, our farm's in Wisconsin. I was a farm kid, joined the Army at 17, went to Iowa, University of Iowa, poli-sci economics, global governance, and then uh, sold art, sold uh, all kinds of good stuff. My dad was a longtime insurance broker, so I got involved in his business. And then there was a desert storm, desert shield. And so that required taking a break. I had to go down to Central America, to Panama for all the equipment coming back that we spent some time in the jungle doing all that nonsense. Got sick, ended up getting disabled for like a half a year. And then some friends called and said, hey, we have a Lloyd's of London syndicate. We do all kinds of global stuff. If you can't really walk all that well, can you use the phone? And I became a vice president of Hanley Companies for about 12 years. We were the first ever U.S. direct Lloyd's underwriter. So high limit sports, entertainment, kidnap, ransom, all kinds of other global insurance pools. We had the first ever border of above $100 million. And uh, then... I was in New York City, Ted Teferro, my partner, his dad were there. And literally two days before 9-11, we were selling our company. Ironically, my ground partner now doing work in Afghanistan, call signs legend, 
he was actually a young boy who just came from Pakistan. That same time I was in New York coming to America as a refugee and then 9-11. So after 9-11, that was that changed everything. Uh, I spent some years doing technology, uh, some local stuff in Iowa. Governor Vilsack appointed me to the Vision Iowa board. I did a lot of research on community governance and growing. So when you take the global Lloyd's work and you take the military and you take the software, which uh, one of the gentlemen at the metal organization we're both involved in, kind of one of the co-founders, one of the founders of the Bitcoin world, he's like, that was a, was a cryptocurrency dumbass. He sold it too cheap. Uh, <laughs> you know, all that creates a global sense of, of business. And in the film business, I curate a thousand films a year. In the insurance business, I underwrote for many huge corporations. So I started noticing patterns in community, how leaders govern their organizations, the dialogue between, you know, leaders that ask the right questions and teach people to ask questions versus the leaders that aren't so good that give orders. And I built a model around that, that I've never really put to its full test until I got a call during the pandemic because we had to stop the Hollywood work for a year and a half. And, uh, that young interpreter called me and asked if I could do what I used to do in the military and some other things with kidnap ransom stuff, Lloyd's and everything to help his mom and dad. And it turns out I'm exceptionally good at all that because it's really the same thing. I hate to say this, not to be flippant, but like running global disaster management and evacuations and ground teams over the horizon and a film festival globally is kind of the same thing. Plus it's like Hollywood, everyone's lying about something. So you never know who to trust. And, uh, it's kind of changed my perspective on what I want to do for a living. I'm 55 now. Uh, this is Iowa, by the way. My, this is actually my parents' home uh, touchdown you know, place. We have a farm across the river. This is my mom's wall of Brad junk and my dad's Marine Corps sword. Uh, and as I go back to Hollywood again, I'm going to rethink, I think, how we use the festival. I've had six different countries offer me jets because I'm the Hollywood guy. Which is crazy. Uh, and I've met a lot of people. You're part of metal now. And the metal community since 2015 is a bunch of kind of heart-centered tech guru, very, very kind of alpha leader types, investment people, and but also good brothers that I've built a good bond with, and they're all over the world. And this time, I, I want to leverage everything I'm doing with Hollywood to make the world better. There's plenty of dark, horrible stuff. And the stuff we're doing now the last 19 months is like the worst of all the horrible things every day. As a human race, we're supposed to be better than that. And I think that right. all of us in that, the guys at Metal, the people I work with in Hollywood, I think it's time to leverage that work to tell better stories, bring light to dark places. And I'm, I'm getting out of the quarterback mode and even out of the coach mode into more of the owner mode. And I'm, I'm going to start building, I think, the next generation of people that I have faith in to kind of take what we've built and see if they can make it something cooler. Right. I'm old now. I'm like 55. I'm not cool anymore. You're you're the cool <laughs> generation. Well, I, I so, think yeah. you're pretty cool. So at least you have one person rooting for you. Um, so there's so much I want to cover, just very valid and great points. First is you mentioned about you want to inject light into darkness. What does that mean? How does that look like for you for you and your work? Well, okay. I don't tell the story very often, but uh, 2021 in July, I got a call from my friend who was with Variety for 40 years and said, hey, Parks, why don't you think about coming back to Hollywood? You should go to Cannes, give a couple speeches, Cannes Film Festival. So I did. And uh, Matthew and Thomas LaCastro were there. They're the filmmakers that own the production company that made the Sabarok film about the Afghan interpreter. And I was giving a little, little kind of impromptu presentation to 15 or 20 
you know, young filmmakers from Kazakhstan to South Africa. And someone said, you know, who's your boss? And you don't want to say like, I own the Hollywood Film Festival. You look like a jerk. And so I said, uh, I work for the light of the world. I help people like you bring light to dark places. And I kind of thought it was like trying to be cool, but not like a jerk and mm-hmm. kind of true. And then uh, literally in one of the worst days in this whole thing in Afghanistan, one of my favorite brothers, Sabarak's older brother, had a baby on a very difficult, hard day. And they named the baby Noor, which in Dari means the light of the world. And I was like, well, damn, maybe that's something I should think about. And so the last 18 months has kind of been a, a reflection of work I did years and years ago, which I quit doing to come do the Hollywood thing to, you know, do better, good things for the world. And uh, it's changed my perspective kind of on my own humanity, I guess, a little bit and what my purpose is. Uh, So I guess my boss is the light of the world. And my job is to help filmmakers bring light to places that most people don't. And they're courageous, crazy young people. I mean, now that I have other friends like Dan Stinson, his global security company, I can actually help them once in a while because they are fearless. And so, so despite all the bad things in Ukraine, the work I've done there, and our support work for relief tornado stuff with Victor Esch and with, with the guys in Afghanistan. The world seems horrible, but I'm very hopeful because all these young filmmakers in 50 different countries I've gotten to build a relationship with, they're interested in finding a better path and they're probably doing a better job of it than we did. And so despite all the bad on TV and the news, I think the future looks brighter to me than it ever has before. And that's a good thing. We need more of that, by the way, I think. Right. Yeah, I, I believe that's my I think, two cents. Maybe my three cents. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your insight about ways how you could um, you know, help turn the world into a better place. And I think there there has to be more people like you and myself included that can see the positive and the light in the world, especially since we're wired to think negative thoughts and the news that comes out of, for example, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, isn't meant to inject positivity into the world. Mainly, it's to it's cover to things that are negative. Exactly, they're in the they're in the market, the business of making money, and we have to see through the fine lines and be intelligent enough to to differentiate what's good news and bad news and what's reality and what's yeah. not. And I think for the layperson, it's, it can be hard, but for those that it's a difficult are, road too. I know a lot of journalists now from CNN, Fox, both from John Solomon's team at just the news, which is kind of a more right centered through, you know, Trudy Rubin, who runs Philadelphia inquires national security advisor. She's literally like at 75. She was on the first plane to Ukraine. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think the the field reporters and producers really have an advocacy role. They want to really get the truth out. The challenge is in that corporate media environment, getting past the supervisors and vice presidents of marketing and production. And can you, it's not that they're, they're telling the truth. It's just that the stories they tell aren't all the stories. And so they tell true stories. Even Fox does a pretty good job telling true stories. It's just CNN and Fox choose to tell different stories and it puts a different shade on the narrative. And narrative is my day job. It's like I'm the anti-conspiracy theory guy. That's my world. Uh, But there's some weird stuff I've witnessed the last year and a half that Mm -hmm. gives me pause about the two-party system in America, the role of corporate media, the difference between rights and responsibilities that used to be both the same thing in our culture now 
I call them the haves and the have-nots. We have this new generation of have-enoughs. And so my family was like German and Irish immigrants. We talked about Wisconsin. They settled farms in Wisconsin. I grew up pretty close to where your family as a refugee family came to America. So even though it's different parts of the world, both of us came from a tradition, I think, of people that migrated to the United States to begin whole new lives and did it kind of in an agricultural, you know, get to know your neighbors, build a community thing. That's right. not Los Angeles, I'm sure you're finding out. So right. Yeah, that that's that's why I liked you off the bat. I'm like, okay, I, I like this guy already because you, you you I can tell you have a deep respect for the generations that have come before you and the ones that are gonna come after you. That seems to be missing somewhere in our I, I, I do right. I do. And that's a wonderful observation of me. I think for so part of this show is really to inspire my generation. I'm part of the Manilio generation. And with that, I my purpose is really to instill positivity, light, and create purpose and meaning in the world. Because the way how I see it, based on my interactions with folks from my generation, is that they seem to have a, they seem to be lost. They don't seem to have a solid sense of direction in life, whether that is creating a meaningful career or finding their true authentic self. So my purpose with this show is to ensure that we're having these types of conversations that can sometimes be intimidating for the layperson. What is purpose? How do I find my purpose? Oh, gee, like that's such a big conversation. Well, it doesn't have to be. It could just be having a casual conversation over coffee with someone you are close to about what is the meaning of life? How can we show up? It doesn't need to be that deep either. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. It doesn't need to be something you write into a religious text or a joke. It can just be, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Who do you want to be? Um, right. And those questions don't seem to be asked as much. Maybe my gen. So you might be able to help me with some Afghans, the young kids who call me like a boomer. I'm like, dude, I'm Generation X. I'm not a boomer. Uh, but I've worked with a lot of young Afghans and other refugees in America that are coming into this who are like 18 to 23. And they're not sure where to plug in. But then when I talk to other young soldiers who are 18 to 23, they're not sure where to plug into this modern America. I think you hit it. Right. You know, this whole weird incel thing and all the all the uh, well, Gary Meyer is a metal member, and Gary is one of the great with, with with Steve Dahl, one of the great broadcasters of morning radio shows ever. And uh, Gary will tell you it's it used to be about kind of inciting dialogue and poking people to get ideas. Now it's about inciting selective outrage in your own market to grow more profit, and that doesn't work. Right. Uh, how do you how do you do it? How, how did you find your center in all that? Well, great question. Um, for me, I think I would have to thank my parents for instilling good values in me. I, I grew up in a household where uh, work ethic and respect for elderly, the elders um, is a must. And I think that that frame of mind of respect and hard work and do what you love doing were instilled early on um, that helped that helped me build my career and now doing what I do today, podcasting, helping companies engage their people in ways that creates positive, a positive work environment and generate meaningful work. Um, and growing up, I had a mentor 
uh, his name is Dennis. He's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he was someone that I turned to to have a better sense of life. And this is when I was 14, 15, 16. And when you're that age, it's important to surround yourself with people that um, can serve as positive role model. Um, and he was that for me. And so I had that as an advantage over my peers. I remember when I was growing up uh, back in high school, I was ready to get out of high school and go to college. And part of that was because I was just a bit more mature than my peers. Um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that I, I come from a big family. I'm one of 12 kids. And wow. coming from a big family, you know, where my dad worked close to 80 hours a week and my mom was a full-time um, mom at home, I, I was busy taking care of my younger siblings while my mom was taking care of the babies and my dad was, you know, out working full-time to support the family. So I think that has a lot to do with uh, my, the development of my, my um, maturity and just the fact that I surrounded myself with people that could be positive role models to me as I was growing up really helped. Um, and then I've seen those two actually. It makes a huge. I haven't talked to my buddy Ev Buckhart in a while, but Ev used to be the president of Sears Catalog. And when I first mm -hmm. met him, I called him Woodshed when he was on my board because he would like take me to the woodshed if I was like a dime off in my books. But uh, <laughs> Henry spent 40 years at Variety or David Adam and Jerry Cattell for Metal. These guys have lifetimes of experience. And mm -hmm. Jim Wyatt, who used to run William Morris and Jeff Shumway, just to be able to sit there and have those guys tell you that you're dumb and tell you, don't do that or why you should do this. That's like going to three graduate schools in an hour. Right. So I 100% right. agree. Mentors are big. Yeah. The power of mentorship is is important. If you are someone that want to enhance your career or your personal lives, is identify people that have already lived through what you're trying to aim for and help you along the way. And I think lived experiences is profoundly uh, is a profound asset. I think it's, I'm not saying that achieving education is, is isn't valuable. I, you know, I have a, a bachelor's and a master's and, you know, I, I, I get to see both world, what education can teach me, but also lived experiences that can also teach me something else. And so it's really what you learn and how you can apply it in your personal life, uh, or, or, or professional life that, and make meaning of it, that's going to, lead to a sense of fulfillment, if that makes sense. Um, I have to have both. My, my software company is named KTD Knowledge Through Data. And so knowledge management and knowledge in general is, is the, the balance of, you know, education, experience, and inference. And you have mm -hmm. to have all three of those. You add on to that your value set and kind of your personal, whatever, spiritual, financial goals. That set of information kind of becomes your bumpers to keep you on the rails uh, as right. you're kind of going forward. So you have to have all of them or else you're a nerd or you're a wise ass or you're overconfident. It, right. Some people don't have all those. And I have a list. It's right on the wall over there. Mm -hmm. And uh, every week or so I read it and I'm like, I think I've changed one or two words over 16, 17 years, maybe. Right. Uh, and I never, I never meet him by the way. I do get close, but that's what <laughs> I know I want to do someday. And at least I have a, I don't have to guess. And like in the army, they teach you like, I remember during desert shield, desert storm, you had to put your gas mask on like in 10 seconds and all this stuff. Cause it was scary. 
And that became memory. So when you're in combat or whatever happens, you don't have to think about things. You react in a disciplined practice way. I think that your value set, you know, all those things, if you do the same practice with those, you don't get tripped up when someone offers you, hey, smoke this or meet this girl or do this. It doesn't matter because automatically you're already instinctually going towards your value set as a matter of discipline practice. Mm -hmm. And most people, especially that come to Hollywood, don't sometimes have that. And that's when bad things happen. Right. So I want to touch on that point where people coming to Hollywood not having a strong value system or purpose and kind of being told what people want them to to be to to be or behaved. How do you earlier you mentioned that you want to in you know apply positivity into the world? How do you do that in an industry that is one, it's an entertainment. So my assumption is that it is quite difficult because people in entertainment don't often display um, certain values that we that we will like, right? For example, the Kardashians. Um, like I think they they certainly are great at marketing, and um, but I, I don't watch their shows, so. Because I brought that's a new kind of celebrity. Yeah, I rather focus on my personal, yeah. I, so I my personal development, and I just don't think yeah. that those t- kinds of show adds growth to my own personal development. Now I'm not to say culture. that. What's that? <laughs> yeah, or to our culture in general. Yeah, right, right. So I'm not, not. I'm not trying to place a judgment into the Kardashians. I'm just saying, for me, I'd rather focus on my personal growth and take in content that's going to add fuel to my fire um in the sure. area of personal development so oprah winfrey as an example would be someone that i would look up to right so i guess going back to my question being that you are in this industry how do you create an environment that is surrounded by people that may often not display the the values that you would like to um to look for sure well sir there are two parts of that one is hollywood as an industry versus as just a community of people is just like every other community so i'm on the hollywood chamber board for this or that it's just like the dubuque board except in iowa they make corn and tractors and you know in hollywood they make movies or tv uh with that said because hollywood is what it is it's like an oasis in the desert and it's everybody wants to go bathe in the hollywood water so that draws the gazelles and the animals that are hungry that want to participate and it draws the crocodiles and the lions that want to eat everybody. Uh, so that's Hollywood is a microcosm in kind of a forest environment of just more light on that stuff. So I tell my filmmakers every year, if you come to Hollywood with the idea that you're going to get rich and famous and you, you draw your personal worth out of Hollywood, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Your family, your art, your film, your faith, your business, your health, those things are the core of who you are. Just be that. Weirdly, right. my buddy Jim Davis from high school, his mom is we're moving today because she broke her arm at 92. Jim, in the movie Field of Dreams, there's a scene where Tim Busfield, who is a great producer actor, was walking across home base. And Jim was his stand in getting beaned by all the fast pitches. He had bruises everywhere. So Tim Busfield could look cool. Tim Busfield and his wife, Melissa Gilbert, she played Little House in the Prairie uh, back when I was a kid. They have a great nice. program with Jeff Daniels in Michigan now. And he he taught us at a at a a school he did for us a couple of years ago. Don't go to Hollywood 
go to your hometown or go to a bigger city, but get invited to Hollywood. Because if you go to Hollywood expecting you're going to bust into Hollywood, yeah, good luck, brother. That's just almost impossible. But if you get if you go to a place that you can stand out and show your value and your worth, and then get invited to Hollywood. And when you go to Hollywood, go with a sense of armor. I call it kind of an armor up of your personal values. And then my organization, we have a charter that's, you know, we promise this, we you promise that. And I've got a very simple rule called the red flag rule. I don't care who you are, if it's me or an intern at one of my events, if someone thinks something's weird, you throw the red flag. You don't call everybody in a circle and like ankle bite everybody. You call it the red flag. We get everybody in the room in the light of day and just put a light on it and have the conversation open transparently that no one can sneak around doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. Calling that red flag makes a big difference. And then everything's transparent. So right. same with Afghanistan. It being proactively. I'm, I'm working on a book now called Surviving Trust. Mm-hmm. In that work in Afghanistan, kind of like Hollywood, I think trust is stupid. Doesn't who cares? Like, do I trust you? I don't even know you. So let's be proactive in our communication. If I just met you and we're in a disaster area zone, if you think something doesn't feel right, say it. Put it in the light. Have the conversation. And by by proactive validation of our intentions and actions, then trust grows over time. Mm-hmm. So I just remove trust from the equation in Hollywood. I, look, I meet people. When I do deals in Hollywood, there's no such thing as a good or bad deal. They're just mm-hmm. deals. Sometimes they're good people. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're good deals or good businesses. You don't know until you proactively do the homework. Mm-hmm. So you have to put effort into it. Like when you grew up, I mean, the values of hard work and ethic apply the same to building new relationships. Hollywood, however, there's a great woman. Uh, I can't remember her name. She's Dr. Ramadi. You can see her on, on YouTube. She has a great a Ramadi, a, a bunch of videos about narcissism. One of her jokes is like a good party in Hollywood's like 50% narcissist. A great party is like 85% narcissist. That's <laughs> welcome to Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, so have good value sets, learn how to spot a narcissist from a mile away. And, mm-hmm. and just, you know, with Dan Sullivan's entrepreneurial coach stuff, be on time, say please and thank you. If you're late, show up, make a phone call and do what you say, say what you do. It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, when I was a kid on the farm, my two cousins broke a bunch of shovels. They didn't want to go dig and like cut big bull thistles in the field. And my grandpa came up and he said, who broke these shovels, Brad? I'm like, no, I'm Blaise. I didn't see anybody. So the next morning, <laughs> he knew damn well they did it. And we're milking cows like four in the morning. And grandpa says, uh, I'm going to teach you the trick to having people think you tell the truth and be a good person. Tell the truth and be a good person. <laughs> Not rocket science. So that's probably similar to your grandparents. It's just it's the logic of just be good intentionally. Be yourself mm-hmm. on purpose, my buddy Matt Booth always says. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. you mentioned intention a few times, and I think it really all comes down to is what what do you intend to do to live this life? How are you going to show up? I've had the privilege to work with some of the world's top leadership development companies in the world, like Corn Ferry and Franklin Covey. And what I've uh, observed through working with some of my colleagues um, who specializes in human behavior, change in human behavior and helping people show up to be the the best leader that they can be is that they're intentional about how they show up. And they, I can spot a, a true leader from afar and it's through his observations, through my observations with his behaviors. So for example, a leader that shows up consistently in certain behaviors um, 
whether they're at a networking event or in a boardroom or having a conversation one-on-one with their peers or with you, is that how they behave and how they talk are always aligned. There's no no inconsistencies. And that ties to building trust. Um, And when people see a leader modeling these certain traits, they, they tend to trust the leader more. And when you are a leader within an organization, a lot of people look up to you. You have multiple stakeholders that you have to balance, and it's important to be a consistent top performer um, or leader. Yes. And part of that is, well, is of course the things that I mentioned, but also being on purpose. People that are intentional about how they show up and interact with other people, they have a core sense of belonging. They know who they are and they have they they have certain values that were instilled early on that translates out to the world. And it's incredible to meet these rare types of individuals. But when you do, I, I tend to hold on to them and am in connection with them because they are the 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 types of people or leaders that I, I want to be someday. And I think that it's important as you're leading an organization as, you know, the Hollywood Film Festival or within your own community or family is to, um, you know, instill a, a sense of consistency and trust um, in your relationships. I 100% agree. And intention is something, so intention is something I do on purpose. It's my, it's my intentional act. On the flip side, though, one thing I, I make a point never to do is to try to assume intention in other people without just asking them. Because people mm-hmm. do stupid things, or people make mistakes. And so sometimes we're quick in this country, especially lately, to assign some sort of nefarious intention. And why? I mean, the actions will speak. And if you ask them why they did it, they'll tell you or not, or they'll tell you the truth or not. Mm-hmm. You can kind of, if you do enough of this for a long enough time, you, and I'm sure you've seen it, you can feel it. Like I met you, okay, this gentleman is an intentionally good person. I mean, I don't think you're probably capable of doing nefarious things because it just isn't in your blood. So that takes time and practice, but I never, I never assign intentions. Even if we're negotiating with Taliban to release somebody or, you know, some cartels I worked with last week, we're trying to help some people down in Panama and Mexico. I know they're criminals. I get it. There's no sense telling them that they know I don't need to assign or bring that weight into those conversations. I have something I need from them. They have something they shouldn't have. And you have the conversation based on facts and, and actions and consequences. Right. And to trying to decide why they did it is stupid. Just like mm-hmm. trusting people, you just for me, it's probably stupid. Uh, you know, just be proactive and, mm-hmm. and cautious. So I don't right. want to say I don't trust anybody, but after Afghanistan and Hollywood five years, I don't really trust anybody. Uh, <laughs> I tell my filmmakers, trust your mom and your lawyer, then hire a second lawyer to watch your first lawyer and you're good to go. So, yeah, I think there's different definitions of what trust is but i think i I guess for me i'm curious when you say trust like what does that mean for you well so you know i made i made one critical mistake in my hollywood adventure i bought the festival from someone who was pretty tough and it took a lot to kind of beat that down and win that battle and then someone in the process kind of came to my family without me knowing it and put that at risk and so i made the mistake of asking someone to come in to lead and I gave them 
the responsibility, but I also gave them the accountability. And that was a mistake. The accountability is mine. So mm-hmm. no matter what those two people did that were one in the group and one I had hoped would lead the group, I should have given them a better board or far more accountability tools. I was just exhausted in 2019. I, I was just shocked after I, I won kind of a battle. For, I've heard friends of Rider call me the best pirate ship captain in Hollywood. And we had one of the biggest backroom battles in Hollywood to keep and buy the festival. And when I won, the guy I bought it from called me and said, hey, good job. I thought you wouldn't last that long. So that was funny. Uh, but uh, when I when I should have really stepped up and demanded that I'm the one at the end that's accountable, I just let that person help take charge. And that almost cost me everything and my family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you trust people. So in the work in Afghanistan, the reason we're good at it is no one knows. I call it my little circle of quiet mice to steal and Taliban's cheese. So if there's value to add, we get we get it done. We get the hell out of the middle as fast as possible. I don't want to be there. I was never there. He didn't know my name. I don't want credit. I don't raise money. We just do the work and get out of the middle. And when you do that enough, suddenly everybody starts asking to be in the middle. Then you're kind of screwed. And so mm-hmm. there's a flip side of that, too. But if you're that person that really has genuine intention, you've got to find partners that have your back in Hollywood that can see right. the things that someone that doesn't want to throw the red flag sneaks around you. So if, if I call you and say, uh, you know, hey, I heard this about you. Then you call all three people that said it and you put them on the phone together. If I though call five of my friends that know you and say, I heard this about him, what do you mm-hmm. think? And then all of a sudden within a half hour, they're calling each other before you've even done anything. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, why is everyone asking questions about him? He seems like a nice young guy from the Midwest, but maybe he's doing something bad. Mm-hmm. That's because someone called a whole circle of people around you and started planting seeds of doubt. But don't let those seeds grow into friggin' oak trees like put those right. seeds in the light of day and talk about them when they're still little acorns you know mm-hmm. uh right. and so that was my probably biggest mistake in all this that and i fell in love with the girl the family i loved and someone used that against me and mm-hmm. threatened to kill everybody I mean, welcome to mm-hmm. hollywood that shit happens uh they're safe now and everyone's good that that's my job in that relationship but uh it could have been a lot easier had mm-hmm. i had a much stronger board and really specific definable metrics and demands as the accountability agent so you can give people responsibility never give up accountability Mm -hmm. it's your ship it's your deck and you're accountable no matter who's driving the boat that that's my biggest mistake it's going to cost me three million bucks to fix that by the way before i make another dime in hollywood so and i don't have to by the way my lee weinberg my wonderful attorney also metals attorney he's like you know you could just walk well shit i could but i'm from iowa so I can't. I wouldn't live, I wouldn't live with myself. So now I have to go fix all that other people's nefarious malfeasance and nonsense mm-hmm. and do all the stuff I'm doing around the world. And then I'll make money in four or five years. And it'll be right. I'm not worried about that. Right. But that's that's because I intentionally keep my word no matter what. That's just that's who I am. I can't change that. I wouldn't want to change that. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned about, you know, how people are planting seeds, you know, it reminds me of this quote, uh, something along the lines of uh, rumors are car- carried by haters, spread by fools, and accepted by idiots. And if oh, yeah, brother. aren't intelligent yeah. enough to, you know, make their own judgment by through, you know, nice. process of investigation or asking certain questions to get to the truth, then, um, you know, obviously it's going to be a detriment towards a personal reputation and credibility. I, the other point I wanted to make, you mentioned about accountability. I, I love the fact that you um, recognize that at a, 
some point you have to be accountable for all of these various things that are happening to you and the organization. And I love that so much because you're saying because I'm able to take uh, I'm, a, I'm able to take accountability, I now have the power to 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 change the situation. It's within my control. And can you, can you share just a little bit more about just the concept of accountability and how that could be useful for um, a person and how powerful that is when you're able to own the ship and, and, and guide its direction. Yeah. So there, you know, there are a couple of really good guys. I know some are metal, you know, for example, Craig Filick or Dave Layton or uh, Michael Ordo. So, you know, I took Craig Filick's got this thing. Everyone's called the hot seat. And it's really a very brutal, like deep dive into your inner psyche. So as a soldier in that world and the things we did in that work, when I went to Hollywood, I didn't want to be that. And so I kind of let that part of myself be over here. But as that soldier, as a, as a sergeant, I know when it's time to pull someone out of a fight. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have that kind of part of my brain going. So in 2018, when things were hard and we finally won that huge battle, like I should have pulled myself and put myself on the bench for a couple of months just to breathe. And I didn't do that because I was trying to be like the good, happy, nice guy. And then I ended up picking the wrong person to leave my company when I should have been giving myself a few months off to breathe. And and mm-hmm. I hate to say this because a lot of my friends died during COVID. After mm-hmm. 2019, we finally won that battle, a big article in Variety. And then it was a freaking nightmare. I mean, it was horrible. My CEO's mom died at his house. And it just was like, can anything else go wrong? We finally won. I gave my partner, Marco Gomez, the helm and said, I'm going home to Iowa. Like, I never wanted to come back. But during COVID, I had time to breathe and rest and reflect. And then what I've seen from the tornadoes in Mayfield, Kentucky to Afghanistan, I now have that time to heal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have to, we talked about empathy in James Golding's medal session last week. Mm -hmm. You have to have empathy for people, but you have to have empathy for yourself. And I think one of my other lessons from this is I've got to learn, it's it's okay to take yourself out of the fight. Sometimes you shouldn't be in the chair. Sometimes you need to rest. You know, telling my own guys, sometimes our little circle of mice, like, you got, you got to sleep. Dr. Mark for metal, one of the world's right. best sleep doctors, like, how to sleep in shifts, because when you're running 46, 48 hours straight, you just do stupid things. And in that right. world, it gets people killed. And so the discipline of, like, getting over yourself, just get over mm-hmm. yourself. Look, you're not, it's not imposter syndrome. It's just like, look, I'm an Iowa kid. You know, I'm, I'm literally in my mom's basement right now in Iowa. So maybe that's cool or not cool, but I'm, I am I live in Iowa. I work in Hollywood. I have an office there in D.C. I have a weird life, but like get over yourself. Uh, I, I was one of my weird stories of Hollywood early on. You know, Sam Elliott, the guy with the cool mustache guy, mm. talks like this. He's like famous Western guy. <laughs> We're in the bathroom washing our hands. And I said, hey, this is who I am, Sam. And I used to work with you on the way to London. How do you like be a good guy in Hollywood? Because I know some of your background from that work and everyone likes you and respects you. And he said, well, here's the secret. Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> be yourself. And if you're proud of what you do and you have a good spirit and you're honestly trying and people don't like you, fuck them. It's Hollywood. Fuck them. And then he looked at me and he went, just watch this. And literally he walked out of the bathroom door, this little lobby thing. There's like 60 women of all ages, like 16 to 80. And he walked across the room and they all started swooning. And he turned around and winked at me. I'm like... Oh, yeah, that guy's fucking awesome. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you become a celebrity. But I've always kind of held that. I don't say that often in speeches or on podcasts, but, you know, fuck them. Live your life. Be yourself on purpose. Live within your own trajectory and your own space. Know your limitations. 
And the hardest part in Hollywood is I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And when I bring partners in to do the things I'm not good at, it's not a license to try and steal my company and tell people I'm not good at some things. Mm -hmm. I'm good at what I do because I know how to get out of the middle and put smarter people than me in those chairs. And as a CEO in Hollywood, you really have to, same in New York, same in Chicago, same in sports and entertainment when I was at Lloyd's, same in global finance. You know, if you go to Hotel Decap during Cannes, you're 30, 30 kilometers up the coast on the Riviera. It's the world's most expensive hotel. It's like 5,000 a night and drinks are like freaking 80 bucks each. That's where the really rich people live. And that's a whole other shark tank of worlds. And you have to right. just be cognizant of how you, I kind of on stage, off stage, like you're catching me, like I'm helping my friend's mom move and back in Iowa. I'm literally sweaty. You know, I'm just trying to drink water. Uh, this is kind of my offstage voice, but you have to really proactively be on stage when you're in the entertainment industry, or if you're a coach, I mean, you, you work in personal development, you can't show up at a meeting as a coach late and looking like your shirt's not tucked in. You have to right. intentionally take a breath. I saw right. a great video during the pandemic of a teacher who like walked up to his, he's an Asian gentleman who walked up to his classroom. He could tell he was just miserable. He took a breath, looked in the window and smiled. Then he walked into his classroom and I was like, that guy has it. That guy gets it. You have right. to be yourself on purpose, not by, right. and Matt Booth is one of my favorite speakers and young coaches. I grew up with Matt in Dubuque and uh, he, he talks about be yourself on purpose. You can, right. you're yourself, but when you're out there on, on the stage, who do you want to be and be that person proactively and intentionally and bring it? Uh, Matthew and Matthew and Thomas LeCastro made the Sabarok Afghan short film. These guys wear tuxedos everywhere. I mean, pink tuxedos, white tuxedos. I mean, you can't walk around being a cool young dude wearing tuxedos everywhere unless you really bring it like you're playing, like you're Gronk playing football. You got to hit hard or else people right. think you're idiots. At least you walk in anywhere, DC, can. And they're the friggin' life of the party because who are those two jackasses of tuxedos? And they're hilarious. Like, like they, <laughs> the tuxedos are their armor. It's awesome. I love those guys. Uh, I think they're on a yacht somewhere. I'm doing deals in Europe now for billionaires. Uh, and they're just two nerds. I mean, there were uh, National Institutes of Health. One's a biochemist. One's like a neuroscientist that bought some cameras and won an Emmy in the Hollywood Film Festival. Now they're doing deals in Europe mm -hmm. in tuxedos all the time. Friggin' crazy. Yeah. But it's intention. They're good guys that care about people and live with intention. And you can't fake that. When I first met you, you can't fake that. You can't fake right. that. Right. Yeah. I think there's a Sorry lot of rambling there. Yeah. Oh, no, this, this is that's great. Thank you so much for sharing your insight uh, in terms of intentionality and being more of who you are. I think there's a lot of freedom and joy and fulfillment and being who you are and showing up as who you are obviously there's certain situations that you will have to adapt to in the environment which in the leadership development world it's what we call situational situational adaptability uh in leadership and but for the most part to be able to show up as who you are in alignment with your core values and purpose is there's a lot of freedom and joy in that. And sometimes what I've seen through my interactions with people in Hollywood, like there's celebrities working out at my gym. Uh, and, and when I speak to them, they they sometimes hold this anxious uh, demeanor. You could just tell because being a psychology major, major and you know, uh, coaching executives, being famous reading sounds. through all, being you know, famous Totally. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's to them they you, you I could just tell through their eyes and nonverbal communication that they're 
they're they're tense they're not who they are and yeah. a lot of it has to do with having not having a sense of awareness self-reflection self-awareness and even self-care i think going back to your point earlier that you should have taken a break from all of the you know debacle that's been going on i mean that's a great practice to be more in tune of who you are and to live a life of purpose and meaning is really to practice these personal enhancement tips to ensure that you're grounded i mean i'm sure yeah. going back to the midwest is uh a place where you can be more grounded in who you are because it reminds where you grew up and when i go back to my hometown i'm being reminded of my background where i grew up and the values that um were instilled in me there's a sense of um uh, i want to say bond when i'm able to tap into environments that reminds me uh of my values so I guess this leads me to my next question is what are some of the um, practical habits or tips that you use to make yourself feel more grounded uh, in your core values? And, yeah, and... So I'm flying to get something. Oh, sure. <laughs> but like, so when I first started the Afghan work, I had this black variety hat. I had to like, so I wear one hat at a time. It's like my thing. I get a hat from someone. I got a great hat from the, the Moroccan King of Morocco gave a bunch of cool hats to their film group in, in Cannes. I got this cool hat. I'm like, oh, a king touched this hat. And then in <laughs> 2021, I gave it to some Moroccan kid and I got a variety hat and then Afghanistan. So I wiped the thing off. I told all the little kids, I'll wear this hat till everyone's safe. Well, some of them, most of them are safe, some aren't. And so uh, in that process, I put a different hat on one day. And it's like my Andrew Yang hat when I was a precinct captain. It's a cool Iowa flag on it, by the way. And I started crying and bawling. I had this LA Dodgers hat. It was bawling. I'm like, oh crap. I went to went to Walmart. I bought a cheap, this like a $3 Walmart hat that looks like the black hat. Uh -huh. But so I just change hats. I have, I have when I'm doing running comms, like I'm doing in about two hours with a bunch of people in Panama to help hold. We're sending bodies back to Afghanistan. It's horrible. I put that hat on. That hat's got all the karma of all the horrible things in the world in it. And I wear that hat. And then when I do Hollywood stuff, I put this hat on. And if I'm mm -hmm. doing tech stuff, I put my math hat on. Or I put on my Hollywood hat, or I put on, you know, don't tell anybody because I live in LA. So <laughs> it sounds too. I just change hats because it's just easier than thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I'm 55, and so you know, Dan Stinson built. And I've, I've met some great guys. Dan Stinson, 40 years as a defense contractor in the war, war on terror. Scott Mann, the Pineapple Express, Scott's a Green Beret Colonel. Uh, Travis Peterson, the Air Force Special Operations guy, who helped literally save our little weird bus then. And these guys all talk about moral injury. And so I've done, I've been to a couple scraps, but nothing like these guys have been. And Afghanistan is not my war. My war was a different fight. But uh, I guarantee you, every one of us, about nine, 10 o'clock at night, we stop and we just weep. You just fucking weep. You can't help it. I mean, it's just, right. we see horrible, horrible things every day. And you, and then we get in the phone, we talk about it and we share it. And, you know, my buddy, Brian Upgrass, uh, LA guy, he, I think uh, you might've met Brian, big blonde guy at the party in LA. He's a 40-year bounty hunter, former Air Force medic and L.A. sheriff. And, you know, sometimes you just got to let that stuff out. Mm -hmm. But then you can still have joy. You can still, even though people in Afghanistan are starving, I still take time to, like, make a nice dinner for myself to respect that part of me. 
Right. So you have to just find a tool. And right now there's, there's a shoe box out in the garage. So my that's my dad's flag from his funeral. He's a Marine Corps sword. He was an embassy guard in Helsinki in the day. And there's a big picture of dad in Russia. Uh, you know, he said, take this shoe box and anything you do in the military or other work you do that's bad, just put that shit in that box and leave it there because it's not really meant for moral, mm-hmm. normal people. Mm-hmm. And that was true until Afghanistan. And then some things you can't put in that box. So I think my mistake maybe in Hollywood was the same thing. I was trying to live up to being the responsible person and just put that stuff in the shoe box and deal with it later. Sometimes, you know, someone comes and tries to kill your family or you're working with families that someone like the Taliban is trying to kill you. There's no box big enough for that. So you've mm-hmm. got to find ways to like get over yourself and just cry. I remember when legend, my my little brother, who's now the NRF speaker for the United States, and he's just an amazing human. He's like the most brave human being. He's ridiculous. And the lame legend, we were sergeants mm-hmm. one night. He was doing overwatch with his family. We had to go do some stuff in District 13 and involved an ice cream cart and a bunch of crazy shit. And his name became legend as kind of a sergeant bullshit thing. I'm like, hey, I'll be a movie someday, probably. Go do some legendary stuff. He's who's your legend now, baby? And all of a sudden, the whole world's listening on signal. And who's call sign legend in Kabul? Well, now he actually is that guy. Mm-hmm. And when I met, introduced him to Travis Peterson and old Victor Esch, who built the theme of Afghanistan, we had we had dinner in D.C. Travis and Legend watched just talked. And I walked, I walked outside 20 minutes later to get them. And they were both holding cigarettes that were like half burned but not smoked. Mm-hmm. My guys, did you talk? They're both weeping. Mm-hmm. And uh, Legend's like, well, Travis gave me his, a lighter. Because there's no words for the stuff they've been through. And so I can't even comprehend right. them. Because it's their friends and their families that, that are living it. And I'm just kind of helping from mm-hmm. here or other place around the world. Uh, but you have to just, you have to, you have to be yourself on purpose. Know when to get out of your own way. I just call it the universe. I, right. The universe is the boss. I work for the light of the world. It tells me what to do. It's mm-hmm. much smarter than I am. I tell my team that no one of us can ever be smarter than all of us ever. Mm-hmm. So be transparent trust each other and add value or get the hell out of the middle. You know, right. our boat is all crew, no passengers. I don't have time for passengers. If you're not rolling, get help. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those I, little I, things kind of colloquial, but they, those little, there's like your, I bet, I bet your family has those same exact things. They're little colloquial farm stories. The, the, the oak tree and the acorn, the, I tell people, like, if you're playing Foursquare in 12th and fourth grade in, in front of the teacher and someone says, let's go play behind the building, that shit is always a bad idea. It's that simple. <laughs> you're not sure your socks match your pants, brother? They don't match. Now, <laughs> in Hollywood, you can wear the crazy socks ever. If you wear the socks on purpose, like those pink tuxedos the Castro's wear, you're great. But if you're questioning if your socks match your pants, that means no, because in your head, they don't match. And that cognitive dissonance becomes an emotional dissonance. And right. people can, t- that's what the celebrities you talk about that don't feel right in the gym. Right. They're famous here. They'd rather be themselves at the gym. And all of a sudden they're stuck in this middle spot where their worlds are colliding. Right. That emotional dissonance people pick up on. And that's being famous is horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not just about being a celebrity too, but like even social media gurus where they're, they have a ton of followers, but when you meet them in person, one, they never look like they projected to be in Instagram. Yeah. And two, they, there's there's so much anxiety, social anxiety when they're interacting with people because they don't know how to interact with people in person. They're really good being in ca- on camera, but very high in anxiety when it comes to meeting people in person. And I haven't met many uh, social media uh, uh, gurus that that are in alignment with who they are as they project to be on social media and in person. And so just because someone has 
you know, a high number of followers or has a celebrity status doesn't necessarily mean that they are living a a life of purpose and in, in, in fulfillment. And so it's important to right. remind ourselves like 100%. through, you know, in, through learning through books or through co- podcasts is to, to say, you know, what, what are my intentions? How can I lead a life that makes the most sense to me that gives me the most joy, happiness, and fulfillment? And so um, it sounds like, Brad, you've lived through, uh, you know, multiple lives to to give, to share with us such incredible wisdom on this show. And um, I know we are about that time. And I just have two questions left for you. Uh, one is, how do you define purpose and how, how does that show up in your life? And the second is, if people are inspired by uh, your words of wisdom, where can they find you? Good questions. Uh, I call it the job. Uh, I, I, I read a book. I can't remember what the book is. A great book, and the guy kept saying, "Look, this is the job. This is the job." That every day I wake up, okay, what's the job today? I wake up employed. I know what I have to do. Whether it's the work I'm going to do in about a half hour moving Gene Davis and Jim his mom's couch because I can tell they're already wanting me to come back, or I'm going to be doing work with migrants, or I'm going to be on a call tonight with a bunch of investment guys from Tech Coast Angels. That's the job. And I define the job. I do the job. My job is to is to define the expectations up front. And I do my work. And I get compensated by the same thing metal guys do. Time, talent, favors, cash, whatever it is. I just do the job. I don't think about huge long-term or short-term things. I know I'm a good person. When I get back to I'll send you just my like nine points of how things I live for, die for, and sacrifice for. Those haven't changed in 20 years. So so I just do the job every day. The weird part is, and you'll probably find this when you get to be 55. Uh, I don't, someone called me, uh, oh, I was talking to uh, Nicholas Sansbury Smith, who's a great, he writes really cool stuff like Hell Divers and Zombie Apocalypse books. And he said, hey, what's it like to be the guy in the chair? And I'm like, it's freaking horrible. Who the hell, it's a horrible idea. I don't want to be that guy. It's like being in an action movie and realizing, oh shit, I'm in a movie. I don't think of myself as anything but a guy that grew up in Iowa. So when people tell me like what you just did, I'm getting used to feeling like, okay, maybe I do have some things to add. And maybe there is a lot of experience. Most people don't. I just thought everyone lived life like this. When you grow up like you do, you just assume everyone's a good person and you do stuff for people. And that's how the world is. I don't think of myself as anything, but you know, Brad from Iowa that bought the field of dreams, you know, Hollywood film festival. And it still is either the dumbest or smartest thing I've ever done. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I just wake up and do the job. So everyone in metal is trying to tell me to write a book and go give speeches and do podcasts. And I'm like, so the Adventures Club, Craig asked me to come speak. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this stuff. So I talked Dan into doing it. And uh, I'm not ready for that role quite yet. I'll get Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's it's great to have this conversation with you because it's as cool as Hollywood can be or the work I do around the world. You know, I meet meet some rare guys like Dream Amir. I really people I really believe in. I like what you stand for. There aren't many of you out there, men or women, that I meet that. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. if I get by a bus moving this stupid couch this afternoon, the world's going to be okay. He's got you. I don't have to carry the weight of the whole thing. I can just do the job every day and find peace at the end of the day. When I first met Matthew Modine, he was with uh, Sold Out O'Brien and her photographer, cameraman from CNN. Matthew asked him, like, what's it? He'd been around for 50 years in all these war zones. And he said, man, it's the same thing. 
a man or woman want to go have a good day at work. They want to come home and have a nice meal with their family, have sex with their spouse, you know, smile, tell some jokes, their kids grow up safe and have good schools. That's it. That's how 99% of the world wants until you get to like politics and religion and craziness. And then everything goes nuts. And I've met people now, I work in 50 countries and it's the same thing. People want to have a nice relationship with their spouse and their kids. They want to want to be safe. They want to provide for their neighbors. They want to be good people. And then, God, that sounds like it should be easier. But there aren't many people that actually intentionally live that. And like, I know you probably do because I talk to some people about you. When other people don't do it, you don't mind stepping up and saying, I think that's wrong. I think you should maybe reconsider that because that's, that's where the fight of the light of the world is to me, is that line between the have and have nots, mostly the have enoughs. If we're going to be a country that has a future, our rights as individuals are only defined and protected by our willingness to accept the responsibilities of protecting the rights of people next to us. Right. It's got to be a collective balance. And mm -hmm. that's that's Chinese culture, Hmong culture, Irish culture, Russian culture. That's culture. And yet politics doesn't serve that. So I'm putting that that battle we'll deal with in 2026. This year we need to make money because I've been off work for three years and I've been spending money in Afghanistan with Stinson. We're broke. So we have to go back to work. <laughs> uh, but I, but thank you for letting me, this was kind of needed today. It's been a tough week. Thank you for letting me vent a bit. But uh, the answer is all that. I find purpose in you and these young women. I'm these two uh, Hazara police officers I'm helping come safe out of the mess they were stuck in. They still believe in Afghanistan. They still believe in helping other women. Uh, people, Luke Jorgensen told me like, five years ago in Hollywood, I'm going to go win an Oscar in 10 years. And I said, go 10. She goes, I'm going to win five. Eva Lou was nominated for an Oscar this year from Greenland, indigenous filmmaker. And when I asked her five years ago, sitting in front of Genosi Hotel with like Jamie Lannister's wife, her best friend uh, from Game of Thrones, the actor, I said, uh, win it for you. She said, no, no, I will win it for Greenland, for all indigenous people and all just dis disparaged and disenfranchised women. I'm winning it for them. And sure as hell, Wow. That's what she told people on the red carpet. Well, the champagne carpet. That's 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 my purpose. Is not I'm done fixing tornado zones. I'm done running comms teams. My job is to find more people like you and give them the tools so that they can go tell their stories and let their stories change the world. That's that's my new purpose. I think. That's beautiful. it. Sounds fun. I I think it's thank you, brother. You're on a great mission and. I love to stay connected with you and explore ways that we can work together to instill purpose and intentionality in your process and our relationships and the people that we'll get to connect with. And I think doing a show like today is a gentle reminder, reminding who we are, why we're here to begin with. Yeah. Sometimes we can often be sidetracked by things that are happening around us and culture and expectations set forth by um you know society but it's also good to take some time to self-reflect and have a an awareness of why we're doing the work to begin with and how in how yeah. i'm seeing this through your work is that you want to make a positive impact um for the folks that um tuned in and love listening to this um brad um where can they find you are they are you accessible to them um, or can yeah, they have your organization facebook is brad for rubber parks or linkedin uh, the hollywoodfilmfestival.com website is still only two pages because the trophy that thing that had saber rocks film on is still sitting in this stupid palace 
or surrounded by talent with my cell number on it, my website. So <laughs> HollywoodFilmFestival.com will be back shortly once I get out of this Afghan stuff. But uh, yeah, HollywoodFilmFestival.com or Brad at HollywoodFilmFestival.com. I answer everybody because that's how I learn. I love those conversations. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to email me anytime. I'm wide open book. Great. Well, Brad, thank you so Iowa. much. We do. What's that? <laughs> I, people say, I tell people Iowa's not my superpower because I'm from Iowa. It's because I'm of Iowa. That's my superpower. <laughs> That's great. That's one way of looking at it. Thank you so <laughs> much, Brad, for your time uh, and sharing your wisdom you, with us and for showing up as who you are. And I celebrate you and uh, good luck in, in all that you do now in the future. And uh, until then, let's uh, stay connected. Absolutely, brother. Be safe. Thank you for the time.